G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We humble ourselves because we are not our own and we have been bought with a price, and God has the right to use us any way He chooses. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll continue the message All Things New, where Pastor Jeff shares what we can expect when heaven is revealed, the restoration of heaven and earth, the casting out of God's enemies and the renewing of our bodies. One day the king will return and all the damage that sin has done, all of it, he will reclaim his kingdom, cast out his enemies, he will set up a new kingdom, renewed, refurbished because the old order has passed away. is today with Jeff Vines and the second half of his message, All Things New. The early Christians and their creeds did not believe that when they died, they were going somewhere. Now, they did believe that when you died, you were absent from the body, present with the Lord. But they believed the final heaven to be right here and right now. That God, the King, comes back to claim what is rightfully His. The Christian story is not one of some kind of great escape, getting off this dirty planet and going somewhere that's good. The Christian story is that God comes back and claims what is his. Where's heaven then? You're sitting on it. You've got a little bit of a down payment. Now stay with me. In Genesis chapter 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. This is back to the Garden of Eden. Now can you repeat that with me on all campuses? God saw all that he made and it was very good. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning in the sixth day. Now think about it. Stay with me on this because I can see the look in your eye. You're thinking, was this heresy? Not at all. Stay with me here, okay? It's going to make a lot more sense to you. Uh, Let's look at some of the things on planet Earth that are just fantastic. Come on. All right, we face a lot of issues here, don't we? I mean, we we got sickness, we got death, we lose people we love. uh, uh, We got bad bosses, we got sibling rivalries. You got all kinds of things that are happening that aren't so good, right? But you got a lot that's good. Come on, man, there's... It's like God gave us a little foreshadowing of what he can, what he's able to do, his creative capacity. Think about Victoria Falls. I know I always mention it because it's my favorite place in the world. It's my favorite place on the planet. So beautiful. And when you stand there, you know that God is good. The rainforest. What about the Australian outback? You know, it is my dream someday when I've got the money and the resources, I would love to take a train from Adelaide to Perth, right to the middle of the outback. New Zealand mountains, the Swiss Alps, Africa lands where the animals just roam free. The power, the beauty of it. Animals of the great deep, the whales and the dolphins and other creatures that look so odd and mysterious. And then there's Hawaii where God vacations. (laughs) There's Southern California where God lives. (laughs) And there's Tennessee where God eats. Like my father said, we didn't have cholesterol when I was growing up. And if we did, we would have fried it. (laughs) So much beauty. So much beauty, right? The message of Revelation 21 is that somebody hijacked the world system. That sin has devastated our world. 
And the more you deny it, the more empirically verifiable it is. We are sinners and we devastate each other and we've devastated our planet. But the king has the last move. And he will remove all the effects of sin and death and bring ultimate restoration. That's why in Revelation 22, you get this picture. It says, the angel shows me the river of the water of life, he says. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops. And he says, the, yielding the fruit and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And he says, no longer is there any curse. Do you see what just happened? You start in the Bible with the tree of life and you end in the Bible in the tree of life. It's paradise regained, restored. God created and what he created, it was the way it was meant to be. Sin impacted the world and it has impacted. Again, argue with it, but it's empirically verifiable. But one day the king will return and all the damage that sin has done, all of it, he will reclaim his kingdom. He will cast out his enemies. He will set up a new kingdom, the same geographical location, renewed, refurbished because the old order has passed away. And he will live with his people and they will be in peace and harmony and there will be love and justice. The early Christians understood what was going to happen and it's not some weird experience the eerie fairy or the centrifugal bumble puppy just out in the middle of nowhere it's right here restored renewed take all the great things of planet earth and take away the impact of sin and what you have is a beautiful planet what you have is the garden of eden now they understood it And they understood it because Paul had already prepared them in Romans 8. He personifies creation. It's a beautiful analogy. He says, how many many of you are waiting for a new body? I mean, talk about G-force. How many many are waiting for a new body? Man, I tell you what, I am looking for a new body. Okay? And the older I get, you notice when you're young, you stop by the mirror a lot. I've noticed as I get older, I kind of just kind of don't look. You know, it's an amazing thing. Well, Paul says in the same way that your body cries out, and by the way, you know that the real you is not your body. The real you is inside it somewhere. This is just a tent. And you know the real you, and that's, that's one of the greatest objective point of reference for eternal life, for that your, your soul was meant to live forever. Just because your body's aging, your mind, and your, your real you is inside. And Paul says in the same way that your real you yearns for a, a, a new body, The creation itself yearns to be restored to what it originally was. And then he says that the creation has been subjected to futility. There's that Greek word metaotis. In other words, the creation is not able to achieve its original goal. What was its original goal? To work in complete love and harmony with man and woman and creature. Where there would be no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. But the creation would... The thing about it is it's beautiful, but it can kill us. The ocean's wonderful, but it can kill you. The mountains are beautiful. They can kill you. Imagine all of that and the beauty of the creation of God without the impact of sin and death and pain and suffering. And that's why the Bible says in 21.4, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now let me finish this. Where's heaven? It's right here. It's the renewing of the Garden of Eden. It's paradise regained. And not some ethereal experience where we're disembodied spirits floating around. What is it like? It's glorious. It's glorious. But what will we be like? This is the big one. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul had already given them 
a little bit of a glimpse of what was yet to come. When they would have read Revelation 21 in conjunction with what Paul had already taught them in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians 15, their eyes would have been open. We know their eyes were open because it sustained them. Even in the midst of incredible difficulty, they knew that death was the doorway to life. And we're told, listen carefully, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that our bodies will be sown in weakness and raised in power. That's a definitive line because the Greek word uh, for weakness is the word for infirmity or illness or sickness. But when it takes on this form that Paul gives it, it changes it, but it means humility. It's Paul's way of saying that right now we humble ourselves because we are not our own and we have been bought with a price and God has the right to use us any way he chooses. And in your humility, because you know of the world that is yet to come, and because you know your existence comparatively, well, there is no comparison, the weight of glory, Paul says, then right now we humble ourselves and we allow God to use us and we say he makes the call and we do weep, but we don't weep without hope. This is Today with Jeff Vines. It's the conclusion of Pastor Jeff's message, All Things New, his last message in the Revelation series. Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. I had this couple in New Zealand, very strong couple in their faith, it appeared, and they're hard workers in the church. And if you would have told me they would have ever walked away from God, I would have said, no way. But they did. They did when they had their second child, and the child was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And it was just too much for the mother to handle. That's a t- now, I want to be careful here. I got no idea what that would be like. And I got to tell you, my biggest fear in my entire life has been something would happen to my children before. You know, I mean, that's, that's how we are as parents. But walking away from God in a time like that, in heaven's name, what are you walking to? If you've got an objective point of reference to life, to the resurrection, and to what God is going to do, It seems to me you would run to that. And that's the only thing that would sustain you during an event like that. The only thing that would give you hope is what is yet to come. Let's take someone who's alone. Someone who desperately wants to be married, have a family. Someone who's single and just wants something more. This goes back to why I am a Christ follower. Because... It's just coherent. We're not utopian. We don't say, well, hey, I'm a Christian now, so God's going to give me everything I want. You're living in a dream world, pal. But we're not cynical either. We don't say, well, the whole world's going to hell in a handbag. Might as well put your head in the sand and forget it and just wait for the second coming. Christians are told, no, bad idea. You're supposed to be salt and light in the world. You're supposed to allow people to see the way you respond and give them a deposit of a kingdom that is yet to come. We're Christians. Which means when we're alone, we would say, Christ was alone for me for a little while, so I can be alone for him for a little while, knowing that one day I will never be alone again. Because in your heart, you know that the only one that's big enough to fill the loneliness in your heart is God anyway. What about somebody who's been broken? We're not cynical. We don't say, well, that's the way the world is. Can't do anything about that. Might as well just forget it. Drink some Kool-Aid and say goodbye. But we're not utopian either. We don't say, hey, I know God's going to heal me tomorrow. No, you don't. You're humble. You're humble. You're sown in weakness. You know, that same word is used of Jesus in his description of coming to planet Earth. That he was weak, humble, but he was raised in power. So when we're broken, 
We say if Jesus was temporarily broken for us, we can be temporarily broken for him. Knowing that because he died, we will live again. Because he lives, we will live again. And so we say to the guy in the wheelchair, dude, you're not merely going to walk, but you're going to run. No, you're going to fly. Isaiah 40, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But the best part, and this is the end, the best part was what Paul said when he said, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. All right, do I have you? You give me five minutes right now of your best attention, okay? He uses two words. He says, when we go into the grave, we go in as a sukikos, a natural body. And at its core, that word means subject to physics. So in the natural body, in the natural realm, you are subject to physics. Some of you more than others. You ever heard white man can't jump? There's a lot of truth in that. (laughs) But the second word is pneumatikos. And at its core, it means not subject to physics. Both are bodies. Your new body will be a body. And if you read carefully 1 Corinthians 15, you will learn that not only will you have a new body, but it will be distinguishable from everybody else. It will be the same in type, but you'll still be unique. You'll know me as me, and I'll know you as you. We all don't look the same. It's not one size fits all. It's not some generic spiritual body. It is a pneumatikos. It is a body that is not subject to physics. What does that mean? Well, Paul, after he says that, says, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And he gives us a clue. He says... Take a look at Jesus in his resurrected form and you will start to have a clue of what you'll be like. And so you read what Jesus did. He walked through walls. He ate fish and bread, not because he had to, but for the sheer pleasure of it. He stood on a mountain and suddenly he took a cloud elevator to the top. And sometimes Jesus wasn't there and suddenly he was there. And sometimes he was there and suddenly he wasn't there. Can I meander just a little bit? I love doing this. Now let me say, no man knows. No man knows. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared. Let's take the language though and have a little fun with it. Does that mean I'm going to be able to eat whatever I want to? Not because I have to survive, but for the sheer pleasure of it. You say, well, there won't be any need for food in heaven. Well, the Bible says there'll be a great banquet. Is there really a great banquet? Probably not. It's his way of saying that you will never want and you will be satisfied. Imagine eating all the chocolate cake and, and lemon custard ice cream every day. And coffee. I mean, coffee's directly from God. Unless Starbucks, that's from the evil one. But It's counterfeit. It's the imposter. And so, think about it. Think about it. I've often thought, I mean, I don't know. Do I get to swim with the dolphins in the wells without having to come up for air? How cool would that be? You say, well, the Bible says there will be no more sea. No. This is apocalyptic literature. We know there's a river flowing through the middle of the city, so don't tell me there's going to be no water. the, The symbolism of sea in John's day was death because there was so much death in the ocean, in the sea. It's the Bible's way of saying there's no more death. There's no more sea death. But is there water? Of course there's water. It's flowing right through the middle of the city. Do I get to swim with the whales? Do I get to swim with the dolphins? You know, do I get to say, I think I'll go to Mars today. And boom, it happens. The thought becomes a reality. Now, some of you are thinking, man, Jeff, you are just weird. Yeah, I, I know that and, and I, because I'm not God. But I do know this. If my puny little mind can come up with things like that, what can God really create? Amen. Amen. You're right. His creative capacity has already been demonstrated by a deposit. What is he really able to do? 
You see? I imagine somehow of this great community. I imagine a cafe in heaven with coffee, clatch coffee. And we're all sitting around because it's about community. It talks about he will be our God, we will be his people. And the reason people go to Starbucks is not for the coffee. It's a bad coffee. They go because they, they created a place to meet and sit around and talk. And so I imagine a cafe in heaven called He Brews. And we, we sit around and we drink coffee. We drink coffee made from God. And there's conversation and I get to see my mom and I get to see my dad and I get to see Adriana and I get to see Izzy and I get to hang out with the people that I've loved and lost because I know I have an objective point of reference toward the life that is to come. I have it because if God can start to transform some of us the way he has, my goodness, if he can make us new and he says in verse five, behold, I am making all things new. Now you notice the change in tense there. Before, it's, I will do this, and all of a sudden he changes, and he says, I am making right now. And he says, by the fact that I am making some of you new, that should be a deposit guaranteeing what is yet to come. Father's Day. <clears throat> My father's best gift to me was an objective point of reference. That God is real, and that although this world is going to throw all kinds of stuff at me, that I'm not going to get paid $20,000 at the end. It is far more glorious than I could ever hope for or imagine. And God asked me to follow and to love him now. To be humble. To be humble. Knowing that I'll be raised in power. It was the greatest gift my dad ever gave me. And I was in my dad's room the day before he died. Because my brothers had told me, you need to come and say goodbye to dad. And so I hadn't done that with my mother, and, and that was a very difficult thing. I was living in New Zealand at the time, but I was out here in L.A., and I flew to be with my dad. And I got in my dad's room. It was early in the morning. I'd flown in the little Tri-City Airport, and I said, Dad, he was so glad to see me. He had the oxygen tank going. It was near the end, and he said, uh, I said, what can I get you? He said, son, will you go get me a Big Pals cheeseburger and a large milkshake? Sure, Dad. Because the hospice lady didn't want him to have any of that, but he wasn't having any of that. So I went and he, he got it down and we sat and watched about six episodes of Bonanza. <laughs> it was the end of the day and I had to get back and I, uh, I was walking out of the room and I thought, you know, I had this voice, tell your dad, tell your dad what he did. And then there's another voice that said, no, just keep going. Isn't it amazing? This was one of the time in my lives I got it right. And I walked over to my dad and I said, dad. You did good. I want you to know you did good. You had four boys. You gave us the food we needed. We weren't wealthy, but you gave us what we needed. But the most important thing, Dad, you gave us was that there's a heavenly father that will never let us down. They'll always be there, never leave us orphan. And he gave us an objective point of reference in the resurrection of Jesus as a historical reality to show us that one day... He will make all things new. I've got a playlist. That's right. Playlist. Mike and the Mechanics do a song that I have on my playlist and I keep it there just to listen to from time to time. The words go, I wasn't there that morning when my father passed away. I didn't get to tell him all the things I had to say. But I think I caught his spirit later that same year. I'm sure I heard his echo in my baby's newborn tears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. 
And the Course says, say it loud, say it clear. You can listen as well as you can hear. It's too late when we die to admit we don't see eye to eye. I told my dad, dad, you did good. And if you're waiting to die and to go be with Jesus because you're worried about your kids, don't worry. We're all fine. You did well. And my dad died the next morning. The best thing, dads, that you can give to your children is the objective point of reference of the world that is to come. Not at utopia here and not be cynical here because God needs to use us now to bring this message to the world. But know that someday, someday you will see your wife and you will see your husband that you lost. You'll see your children that you lost. I will hold the first child that we lost in Africa. I will hold them in heaven. We will be reunited. And that makes everything that we face here worth it. Amen. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for the power of Revelation 21, and I would pray in Jesus' name. Overwhelm us with the power of your spirit that we may see you as you are meant to be seen. We are grateful for this place that is coming, the place that we have a little deposit of right now in the mountains and the beaches and the streams, and to imagine a place like this that worked in full and total harmony with us that will be brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God, that it works with us, that we have a conducive body that is conducive to the world in which you've made. And we will live with you in eternity and you will be our God. We will be your people. And the river of life and the tree of life sustain us for eternity. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of Pastor Jeff's series on Revelation and the message, All Things New. For more information and to hear other messages from this series, you can head to the Vision website, that's vision.org.au, and search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.